Lord Jesus, your giving does know no ending, and we want to be as generous as you are. So this morning, please open your word and change us through it. We pray this in your name. Amen. When I was in seminary, I had two different opportunities to make a little extra cash one spring break. One was to be a substitute teacher in the high school in Trenton, New Jersey. The other was to offer my body to pharmaceutical companies so they could perform scientific experiments on me. (laughs) I chose substitute teaching. And what's shocking is that was the wrong choice. The high school in Trenton was one of the worst inner-city schools in the country. It was hard enough to be a teacher there, let alone a substitute teacher. So the whole time, as I was trying to maintain discipline in the classroom, I kept thinking, right now I could be having needles poked in me and pumped full of strange chemicals. That sounds better. (laughs) While I was there, I met a student named Michael. Michael wanted to be a doctor, but he had everything stacked against him. He had no father, his mother had to work three jobs just to barely make ends meet, and the school was a disaster. Sometimes students would have to wait a month after school started to get their class schedule. And even then, sometimes they'd be put in geometry when they hadn't even passed basic math and told, best of luck. Most of the teachers in that school were very hardworking, dedicated people, but they didn't have a lot of money to work with. And some of them had some pretty negative attitudes. A minority, but some of them did. One substitute teacher said to me, don't even try to teach them. They can't learn. The only thing they're good for is to make babies. If we could just figure out a way to sell their babies, we'd all be rich. In that environment, how is Michael ever supposed to become a doctor? He was bright, he worked hard, but he was poor and he had no support. This fall, we're looking at the biblical concept of the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, God commanded Israel to celebrate a Jubilee year. And in that year, nobody planted crops, debts were canceled, slaves were set free, and property was returned to its original owners. Jubilee was a time to give freedom to the oppressed, to give assistance to the poor, and give rest to the weary. It was a radical leveling of the playing field. People who had been falling further and further behind for years had their debts canceled so they could get a new start. Likewise, people who had been accumulating wealth for 49 years were called to give some of it back so that once every generation, everyone got a second chance. It was sort of a massive control-alt-delete. You know how when your computer gets all frozen up, the only thing you could do, control-alt-delete, either that or throw it out the window? Jubilee was like that. And in his, in his first public sermon, the one we just read today, Jesus says that he is God's ultimate fulfillment of Jubilee. He cancels our debt of sin, he sets us free from guilt and shame, and he brings good news to the poor, whether that's poor of spirit, people who just need him and need his comfort, or whether that's poor of purse. In January, we begin our 50th year as a congregation, and we want that to be a year of Jubilee. For us as a church, but also for us as individuals. And one of the things that that would mean is bringing good news to the poor. Now, if you're like me, you're already nervous about this sermon. Right? 
I don't like to hear preachers talk about serving the poor. Because I'm afraid one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to be made to feel guilty for being middle class, or I'm going to get some radical political agenda shoved at me, or both. So let me just put you at ease. I'm not going to make you feel guilty because I don't believe Jesus does that. Jesus offers an invitation to abundant living, not a guilt trip. And as for the radical agenda, look at me. I am a balding, middle-aged, Presbyterian clergyman. If I even attempted radical, I'd throw my back out. So we're safe there. But what I am is a follower of Jesus, and this I know from Scripture, that God has a passion for the poor. I also know that this church has been very dedicated to serving the poor for decades through things like local food relief or supporting a village in Guatemala or housing at the crossroads. Y'all are the radicals. Don't be afraid of me. And I'm just here to say, keep it up. Let's just keep it up because when we do this, this is a value that is very close to the heart of God. Do you know that Scripture mentions the poor over 400 times? More than almost any other subject, which is interesting because we preachers don't preach on it almost more than any other subject. I prefer to say to the, stick with the safe topics. God is passionate for the poor for one very simple reason. He loves them. He loves them. Now, it's not that he loves the poor any more than he loves the rich. It's just that the poor are hurting and he wants us to take care of them. I have three kids. I love them all the same, but if one is sick or if one is hurting, my attention is drawn to that particular child in a different way. And it's the same with God and the poor. A while back, Holly and Jackson were playing, and Lucy, who can't walk yet, was trying to keep up. And in the process, she keeled over and bashed her head and started to cry. Now, I love all three of my kids, but in that moment, my attention was drawn to Lucy because she was hurting and I wanted to help. What was cool was before I could do anything, Holly and Jackson rushed over to Lucy, picked her up and started patting her on the head and saying, there, there, it's okay, Lucy, don't cry. Now, as a father, do you know how great that was? How great that was to, to watch my kids do that, to see my hurting child not only comforted, but to see my other kids doing the comforting. That's jubilee. That is the dream that God dreams for us, that those of us who have would help those who have not. Now, some of you might be thinking right now, wait a minute, I've seen some poor people, and I know that poor people are poor because of bad decisions that they've made. You know what? Sometimes that's true. And then again, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes people are just trapped in something they don't know how to get out of, like the student, Michael, that I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon. And even if people are poor because of bad choices they've made, so what? Lots of people get in trouble because of their poor choices, and we help them anyway. The alcoholic who drinks too much, the materialistic person who chooses to get too tied up in wealth, the person who chooses to gossip too much, God wants to help those people. And even people who make really bad decisions, like choosing to be Cougars fans, we help them out, (laughs) come alongside. Sorry. (laughs) 
You also may be saying, you know what, this isn't very relevant to living on the east side. We don't have poverty here. Not true. Did you know that in some Bellevue schools, almost 50% of the students are poor enough to qualify for free lunches? And that's in Bellevue, let alone King County and the world. God wants to help those people. But not in a way that creates dependency or makes them feel patronized, but in a way that empowers them to be and to do all that God created them for. Did you know that in the year of Jubilee, God not only called his people to help the poor, but when they did so to give them seed and cows and goats. In other words, the tools they would need to succeed so that they wouldn't slip back into poverty again. So back to Michael, the student I told you about at the top of the sermon. Here's what Jubilee might look like for him. It would mean that a person or a group of people might come to Michael and say, here, let me help pay for a tutor for you. Or let me help send you to college. It might mean working with the school system to improve conditions. More than that, it would be personal. It it would mean saying, I'm going to cut back on hours that I work so I can spend a couple hours a week with you, Michael to tutor you or help you navigate through the school system or just to say, way to go. And when you graduate and head off to college, I'm going to be in the front row cheering louder for you than I'd cheer if the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl this year. That's Jubilee. That is the dream God dreams for people like Michael. And it's also the dream God dreams for people like me and maybe you. Because how cool would it be to participate with God in reclaiming a life? Now, some of you may be thinking, this sounds good, but I got my own concerns. My health is failing. I'm struggling just to make ends meet myself. I'm unemployed. The boss wants me to work more hours. The yard needs mowing. The car needs repairing. The soccer needs coaching. I don't have time. If you feel that way, I want to say, I join you. Because I feel many of those things, too. That's why I think the second word in Jesus' sermon is maybe the most important. Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You see, this is not a message of you ought and you should, and if you don't, you're a bad person. This is an invitation. This is what happens when the Spirit of Jesus gets inside of us and we begin to love what he loves and hate what he hates and dream what he dreams. You can't do this without Jesus, but with him, we can. And when Jesus is in us, then we begin to want to care for the poor. Maybe not in the same way that we want to go to Hawaii for a week. That's a different kind of want, but a deeper want, a deep down want to start to see what Jesus is on about. Start to see what could happen if we participate with him in redeeming lives. And if we don't want to do that, then at least we begin to want to want to do that. In my life, Jesus has moved me from being judgmental of poor people to wanting to want to help them, to wanting to help them, to actually caring for the poor. And what is so exciting for me is in that process, I know I'm becoming more like Jesus, and that is a thrill. And the way we get there is by taking some steps of faith. Maybe it's a little thing. You know, God is not asking you to solve world hunger. That's on his job description, not yours. All he's asking is for you to do your part. Maybe it's a little thing, donating some money to a relief organization. Maybe it means buying a few extra groceries and handing them to a homeless person on your way out the store. 
Maybe it means eliminating just one activity this year so that you can have some time to join with other people from our church who go to the Matt Talbot Center and help feed the homeless in Seattle. Maybe it means sponsoring a child through Compassion International. For just $28 a day, you can feed, clothe, and educate a child in the developing world and introduce them to Jesus. Give up a couple lattes a month and you've got the money. Maybe it means offering some professional services pro bono to people who need them. If you're a teacher, a doctor, a nurse, a dentist, a lawyer, a paralegal, a financial planner, an HR person, or a computer jockey, you've got skills that poor people need to get out of poverty. Maybe it means tutoring a kid through our Kid Reach program. At bare minimum, it could mean just getting the name of one disadvantaged family and praying for them. On the Narthex, we have a Jubilee booth. And if you stop by there, they'll, they'll give you a list of opportunities that you can choose from to participate with God in what he's doing in the world. On Wednesday, I spoke with a man who has been attending this church for two years. His name is Fred Cogswell, and he's an administrator in the Bellevue School District. And he's got a good job, but he said, truth be told, my professional life was a little flat and dull and boring. So two years ago, he prayed a prayer you should never pray. Lord, give me a challenge. Bad prayer. (laughs) Why is it that God always answers that prayer immediately? You know, Lord, help me win the lottery. That goes unanswered for years, but give me a challenge. Poof, there you go. Well, after praying that prayer, Fred met a student student named Sergio. Sergio is, is Hispanic, and English is his second language. And his parents work in the food service industry, and by that I don't mean they own the Yarrow Bay Grill. They are food servers in fast food joints, and they are poor. Well, in the course just of doing his job, Fred met Sergio in a high school class and noticed that he was a very bright and energetic student, and they started a conversation. In the course of that conversation, Sergio commented that he doesn't go to the movies on Friday nights because he stays home and does homework. And as a school administrator, that just warmed Fred's heart. Later, Fred found out that Sergio wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. So he got him an internship at Lake Hills Elementary, a a school that is just packed with immigrant kids. And Sergio became kind of a role model to those kids because they all knew that he was an immigrant kid and he wanted to go to college. There was just one problem, how to pay for it. Sergio's parents are poor, and with English as his second language, he didn't have a lot of hope of getting a scholarship. So Fred decided to help. Fred started a scholarship fund, and he went out and he talked to individuals, some from this church. He went to clubs like the Rotary, and though he won't admit it, I suspect Fred ponied up some cash of his own as well, and they were able to raise enough money for Sergio to go to college. And as this was going on, Fred and Sergio would meet regularly at Starbucks just to talk, just to develop a friendship. And Fred helped Sergio with little things like filling out college applications and getting a suitcase so he'd have something to carry his clothes in when he went to school. Because Sergio's parents have to work all the time just to make ends meet, Fred got to be the one to take Sergio to college just last week over in Ellensburg at Central. When they got there, things kind of got a little messed up. It turned out the university had lost Sergio's housing registration as well as all of his other paperwork. Now, that would be hard enough for a white, middle-class English speaker, let alone a non-native speaker unfamiliar with American bureaucracy. It was overwhelming. Toward the end of that day, Sergio said, 
I don't like this. This isn't working. I just want to go home. And Fred said, if you do that, you're going to make my job very hard because I'm going to go have, have to go back to that kindergarten class and tell him you never made it to college. Sergio said, you wouldn't do that, would you? And Fred said, I'd have to. That was the last Sergio talked about going home. The next day, Fred helped Sergio navigate through the bureaucracy of the university. They got it all straightened out, got him settled in, and finally the time came for Fred to go. And he said, I felt just like any parent does in that moment. As I started to walk away, I cried. In fact, the whole time Fred was telling me this story, he kept crying. And he kept saying to me, you've got to understand, everyone who knows me knows that I am a hard-nosed business administrator. I don't do this. And he'd just tear up again. But they weren't tears of sorrow, they were tears of joy. Fred said to me, this whole thing has deepened my faith in God. He said, I've seen God work even in the littlest details. Like the first, one of the first times they went to visit the school, they stopped to eat at a Mexican restaurant, and Sergio met another Hispanic student who could give him all kinds of advice, like get a good pair of walking shoes because the campus is big. And Fred said, truth be told, I never thought we could raise the money. And then he teared up again, and he said, but God proved me wrong. Two years ago, Fred's life felt flat and like something was missing. He was spiritually poor. Two years ago, Sergio was a promising student, but without the resources he needed to succeed, he was economically poor. Not anymore. You see, Fred has been the hand of God in Sergio's life, plucking him from poverty to a life where he can do a lot of good for a lot of people as a teacher. And Sergio has given Fred a new lease on life and a deeper experience of God. Fred said to me, I don't look at the balance sheet on this thing because I got way more than I gave. I've seen God do things I never thought he could. My faith is deeper. And he said, and I know one thing else. I know that now I can't retire yet because i got to wait till Sergio gets through college. He said, I guess what's happened is unofficially, I've adopted him. Who's rich and who's poor in that story? Who gave and who got? You see, poor of purse and poor of spirit met and they both became rich. That's God's crazy math. The poor need us to help them. And we need the poor to help us see God better and experience the abundant living he's called us to. Because when we partner with God in bringing them good news, we find joy, fulfillment, and Jesus becomes so real that we can touch him. And we all need Jesus. We are all in poverty in one way or another, and we need to know he's there, and we need to know he's real. It won't always be easy. There will be times of discouragement and obstacles, but it will always eventually lead us to a deeper experience of Jesus Christ, which is the only thing that can give us rest and the only thing that can heal our souls. Fred is just like you. He's just like me. He goes to this church, lives on the east side. He's made a huge difference. One man, one student, many lives changed. And there are 3,000 of us in this church. Think what could happen if each one of us prayed Fred's prayer. And then remained open to how God might want to use us to bring good news to the poor. Your story may not be as involved as Fred's. Maybe it'll just mean donating some money or or simply striking up a conversation with the next food service person you meet and seeing where that takes you. It may not be as involved as Fred's, but it can be just as rewarding. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us because He has anointed us to preach good news to the poor. And when we do, when we participate with Jesus in hitting Control-Alt-Delete on this sorry old world, we know for sure that he is real. And the world does too. 
Lord, there's no way we can do this without you. We are caught in our own fears, our own schedules, our own list of needs. And Lord, I pray that you would help meet our needs and also help call us beyond ourselves to meet the needs of others so that we can know that you are real and know the joy you've promised and so that the world will know that you're Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.